You're listening to episode 13 of Justice, Mercy, Faith, a podcast from The Christian Citizen. In this episode, enjoy Christian Citizen contributors Brian Kaler on reclaiming the historic understanding of religious liberty for all. Eden Carlton asks us to love your neighbor, learn their language. And David W. Peters shares his deeply personal essay, The Moral Injury of a Baptist Accidental Killer. Brian Kaler is editor and president of Word and Way. He joins the podcast this week to discuss reclaiming the historic understanding of religious liberty for all. Recent speeches in the Kansas City area by an American Baptist leader urged Baptists to reclaim the historic understanding of true religious liberty for all. Aide Sand Wright Riggins, the former head of the American Baptist Home Mission Societies and now mayor of Collegeville, Pennsylvania, delivered the 2019 Sheridan Lectures, an annual event held by the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty. He delivered his first address on March 26 on the campus of William Jewell College in Liberty, Missouri, and his second the next day at Central Baptist Theological Seminary in Shawnee, Kansas. In his first lecture, Wright Riggins talked about the importance of right-sizing religious liberty after some have used it as a weapon against minorities instead of a shield to protect them. Yet, as he noted, religious liberty is designed to protect religious minorities. These efforts to pit religious freedom against other rights, he said, distort the vision of religious freedom which is supposed to be for everyone. Thus, he urged those who care about religious freedom for all to speak out. Otherwise, the effort to redefine religious freedom will succeed. He mentioned several examples of the misuse of religious freedom, including a February 7th U.S. Supreme Court decision where a narrow majority of the justices argued the state of Alabama could execute a Muslim man without his imam present, even though Christian inmates could have a Christian chaplain present. Three days after Wright Riggins' remarks, the Supreme Court flipped its position without explanation and halted the execution of a Buddhist inmate in Texas where officials refused to allow him to have a Buddhist religious advisor present. The Muslim inmate in Alabama had already been executed without his imam present. Wright Riggins also noted the example of Project Blitz legislation in several states that are designed to chip away at church-state separation. Such proposed bills include those requiring the placement of In God We Trust in every public school classroom, those encouraging so-called Bible literacy classes in public schools, and those giving broad exemptions to businesses and individuals who do not want to provide services to LGBTQ individuals. Right, Riggins blasted Project Blitz for seeking to trump non-discrimination laws and interfere with freedom. The next evening, Wright Riggins focused on issues of race and debates about religion and religious liberty. He noted that Christianity has been used as a major support of white supremacy, which he labeled a heresy and a sin, and also one of the biggest challenges to it. For instance, he noted that William Jewell, the namesake of the college hosting the previous night's lecture, had been a slave owner and that enslaved people were used to build some of the campus. How, how, how could an institution inspired by the gospel of Christ, founded as a Baptist college, located in Liberty, Missouri, reconcile being physically built by still enslaved great-grandchildren of Angolans brought to these shores 230 years before, he asked in his remarks. 
what was going on in the mind and the spirit of slave-owning Dr. Jewell as he contributed what today would be over $300,000 of his wealth, money and property with a direct line to slavery. The project of reconciliation is daring to learn a new calculus of the decolonizing of a society that was built through bad things. Jesus talks about this as the kingdom of God, right? Riggins added. If there was ever an anti-colonial, anti-hierarchical force on this earth, it was Jesus. It was this Jesus who died upon a lynching tree to remind the marginalized everywhere, I know exactly what you're going through. I am with you and I will be with you. More from Reverend Dr. Aidsand Wright Riggins III can be heard in Kaler's interview with him in episode 69, Baptist Without an Adjective, on the Word and Way podcast, which can be found at podcast.wordandway.com. Eden Carlton leads the language arts ministry at St. Paul's Baptist Church in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Here she is with her essay, Love Your Neighbor, Learn Their Language. It's 8.30 a.m. Sunday morning, one hour before Sunday school starts. Students have entered the classroom at St. Paul's Baptist Church in Westchester, Pennsylvania to learn Spanish. This is no light commitment. 30 students will start, but only 13 will finish. The students will spend two hours on Sundays, an hour and a half on Monday nights, and up to two hours every day over an 11-week period learning and practicing Spanish. Welcome to the Language Arts Ministry. In 2016, Dr. Lisa Croft, wife of Reverend Dr. Wayne E. Croft Sr., pastor of St. Paul's, sought the Lord about what does it mean to witness for Jesus Christ? And what does that look like when thinking of people who don't look like you or speak like you or who have a different culture than you? What Dr. Lisa received was a call to provide a way for people to learn various languages with the goal of students building and enhancing their relationships with their family, friends, and neighbors in order to share God's love. Since the spring of 2018, the Language Arts Ministry offers Spanish and French classes, soon to be followed by American Sign Language, Hebrew, Arabic, and Korean. However, the journey doesn't end with learning the language. With a heart and desire to serve our Puerto Rican brothers and sisters, in 2018, students donated to Jose Andres's World Central Kitchen, hashtag Chefs for Puerto Rico project. In March 2019, seven students traveled to Puerto Rico to work for a week with American Baptist Home Mission Societies in order to rebuild, restore, and renew places of worship and service in the Caguas area. A team of seven African-American women from the Language Arts Ministry cleaned the roof of Corporación Milagros del Amor, prepared and served meals for the homeless with Iglesia Bautista La Ciudad Deseada Cantagalo and landscaped, painted, and learned about the work of Centro Educativo Joaquina de Vedruna. 
Every team member was transformed by this opportunity to serve and expressed a deep appreciation for the people of Puerto Rico, as well as the prayerful support of the St. Paul's church family. Dr. Lisa Croft says, God is faithful as God blessed our trip by allowing us to exceed the expectations of ourselves as well as others by allowing us to go above and beyond what we could have imagined. God knitted us all together in such a way that our collective mindset was that we came to serve, not be served. Virginia Barberin says, through God's grace, I have returned from a rewarding, emotional, and productive mission of Christ's love in Puerto Rico. I pray we were able to spread the love of God through Christ, opening hearts and minds and debunking some of the myths about women and African-Americans. Pam White says, my purpose was to let our fellow Americans know that they are not forgotten and that they are still connected to us both nationally and spiritually. We are here for them. The joy of giving and reaching across cultural divides was a blessing to me. Stephanie Bass says, I was reminded that no matter where you go, you will always find people whose level of faith and empathy in times of trouble can be awe-inspiring. The journey of learning languages in order to share God's love continues with more classes and more service. The Language Arts Ministry is planning to work with Iglesia Bautista La Ciudad de Seara Cantagallo in serving Haitian refugee children in the Dominican Republic. The Language Arts Ministry encourages you to love your neighbor by learning their language. David W. Peters served in the United States Marine Corps and in Iraq as an Army chaplain. Currently, he is a church planter in Pflugersville, Texas with the Episcopal Diocese of Texas. He is the author of Post-Traumatic God, How the Church Cares for the People Who Have Been to Hell and Back, from Morehouse Publishing. He joins us this week with his essay, The Moral Injury of a Baptist Accidental Killer. The pianist played another verse of Just As I Am, as Pastor Duane invited us forward to kneel at the altar beneath the giant wooden pulpit of Glenview Baptist Church. It wasn't a long walk to that kneeling rail, as Glenview wasn't a large church. Like many churches in Beckley, West Virginia, Glenview's pastor was a graduate of Appalachian Bible College, a fundamentalist institution founded to train missionaries for Appalachia and other far-off lands. Each service ended with an altar call, where unsaved people were encouraged to get saved, and the rest of us were encouraged to give some or all of our life to God. I never knew if I should go forward during these events. If I stay, they'll think I'm stubborn and hard-hearted. If I go forward, they'll think I'm melodramatic. After all, I didn't have much reason to go forward. I hadn't really done anything terribly wrong in my life. Growing up in a Christian school and fundamentalist church left me little time to pursue a wanton life of sin and debauchery. Then again, I did feel bad about my lack of spiritual discipline, my lust, my inability to care for most people around me. I thought these were the only reasons to go forward. 
Either you went forward for great and terrible sins like drugs or alcohol or running from the cops, or you went forward for the little stuff like wanting to watch porn. I attended this church every Sunday morning and night for four years because Pastor Duane visited me in the hospital the night I accidentally killed someone. I visited Glenview the first Sunday morning of my freshman year and liked it enough to go back that night as my roommate and I were driving to church dressed up in jackets and neckties. I was blinded by the evening sun as I rounded a curve on an unfamiliar and busy two-lane road. I tried to get out of the passing lane, but saw a red Jeep in the right lane. I overcorrected back to the left lane and struck a reinforced curb that crushed the front of my 73 Volkswagen Super Beetle. The engineless front of the car crumbled and the steering wheel locked up, sending us into the oncoming lane. I looked straight ahead to see a motorcycle coming straight for us. The memory, my memory, only has static at this point. The next thing I remember is the relief that my roommate was alive and apparently uninjured. I looked down and saw my hand covered in blood. I spit chunks of windshield glass out of my mouth. I climbed out of the car and the entire scene was frozen. The busy highway had come to a complete stop. Like the highway had instantly turned into a high school parking lot on a weekend. I walked away from my car and saw an em the empty motorcycle. Next, I saw a woman in a motorcycle helmet. Her head was bent at a strange angle, and although I had never seen a dead body, I knew she was dead. I walked a few steps further and felt a searing pain in my knee. Although my kneecap was fractured, I kept walking, barely feeling a thing. In a few steps, I saw a man lying on his stomach. He wore a black leather vest. I went to him and I could see blood flowing from between his legs onto the asphalt. He looked up and cursed me. I said I was sorry. I probably said it a thousand times in those few moments when our eyes met. I took off my red Bible college necktie and attempted to stop his bleeding as two ambulance workers casually walked up and escorted me away, joking to each other as they did so. In the ER, a nurse who attended Glenview Baptist was on duty. He got the glass out of my hand with some rolled up medical tape. He called Pastor Duane and he came right away. He knew we were on our way to attend his church that night. He prayed with my roommate and I, then we went home. Because it was an accident, no one said I was a killer, but in my soul, I knew I had crossed the line. I knew I had killed another human being. Everyone who met me had sympathy for me, seeing me as a kind of victim. But I didn't feel like a victim. I felt like a perpetrator. I felt guilty. I wanted the police to arrest me, to throw me in jail, if only to confirm on my outside world what I felt inside. And so I went to church, Sunday after Sunday. Sometimes I went forward to pray about my little sins, sometimes to encourage someone else to go forward, and sometimes because I wanted to be sure I was giving my whole life to God. But during those four years at Glenview Baptist Church, I never went forward because I was an accidental killer. I didn't have the language for who I was or what I had done. My accidental killing drifted into this gray moral area between murder and an insurance claim. After serving as an army chaplain in Iraq, 
I read about an emerging concept called moral injury. If post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, is a medical and psychological disorder that happens when we feel our life is being threatened, moral injury is a spiritual condition that happens when we hurt other people or fail to help someone who is in crisis. If we get PTSD from being the prey, we get moral injury from being the predator. War is an upside-down moral universe, and so moral injuries happen often, even as soldiers simply follow orders. There is another word for moral injury we often hesitate to use. That word is sin. We don't use the word sin in context of moral injury because sin has become so individualized in our culture. In fact, it's rarely used in a non-religious or non-dessert, like sinfully delicious chocolate, context in modern English. Moral injury accounts for the fact that evil is often done on our behalf, and evil can be something we participate in as communities. Much of the evil in the world is communally and state-sanctioned. When it comes to moral injury, we truly know not what we do. A Vietnam veteran shared in a moral in, shared in a moral injury group conference that he had participated in killing prisoners, a direct order from his superior, superiors that would purportedly save American lives. In the moment, it seemed like the right thing to do. Decades later, he feels like he isn't good anymore. It was through this lens of moral injury I began to examine my own moral injuries from the Iraq War. Invariably, this led me to that Sunday night in West Virginia when I became an accidental killer. If I could go back to that altar call at Glenview Baptist and sit next to that young accidental killer, I would lean over and whisper, you can bring this to the altar. This moral injury can heal. You can bring your accidental killing to God. Every religious tradition has cleansing rituals for moral injury altar calls, baptism, confession and reconciliation, and penitential pilgrimages all have their secular counterparts. People with moral injury often seek paths to healing, many of which do not involve the church. Marathons and suffer fests like Tough Mudders abound on Sunday mornings, but they never have a declaration, your sins are forgiven. I hope churches can reclaim this ministry of healing and restoration. I hope each church can help people connect the dots between moral injury and rituals of cleansing and reconciliation. We can do this through our teaching, preaching, and writing. We can get in touch with our own moral injury and bring those things to God. That concludes this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. Thank you to this week's contributors, Brian Kaler, Eden Carlton, and David W. Peters. Our theme music is Believable 2 by Peter Sandberg. The Christian Citizen is edited by Curtis Ramsey Lucas and is a publication of the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. The show, website, and newsletter are produced by myself, Joshua Kagi. Stories are copy-edited by Hannah Estefanos, and our art director is Danny Ellison. The Christian Citizen editorial board is Dr. Jeffrey Hagre, Laura Alden, Susan Gottschall, Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, the Reverend Sarah Strosel-Kiggy, the Reverend Salvador Oriana, the Reverend Dr. Marilyn Turner Triplett, and Reverend Cassandra Karkoff-Williams. And our advisors are Sherilyn Crow, the Reverend Kimberly Payton Jones, the Reverend Stephen D. Martin, the Reverend Marvin A. McMickle, and the Reverend Harold Dean. 
To learn more about The Christian Citizen, visit the website christiancitizen.us. Justice, Mercy, Faith is off for the next couple of weeks to prepare new stories. We'll be back in June, including our first live show from the American Baptist Church's Biennial Mission Summit in Virginia Beach. Follow us on social media for upcoming details on how you can join us. Thanks for listening.